Welcome back to the Weekly Trusted Visions podcast. We hope that everybody's having a good week. Um, David, Sean, thanks for joining me. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different this week, um, just because of some things coming to light. There's a couple rules that, that are going into effect September 1 that, that we just learned about and we talk about on our podcast all the time that we keep a pulse on the industry. <clears throat> and I think this is a prime example of why working with a team like Trusted Visions is beneficial to you as an advisor or OSJ or enterprise, because unlike some of the rulings like Reg BI or DOL, they, they got a lot of press and media attention. These are two rules, <clears throat> and I got to speak completely honestly, um, that I was unaware of until last week because you haven't seen anything in the press or media about these rules. And when I'm speaking of these rules, the two rules that I'm talking about are FINRA Rule 1011 and FINRA Rule 1017. Now, I will preface for the team in its entirety, by no means as are any of us or the Trusted Visions team compliance experts or attorneys that are providing legal advice. We're more so touching on this topic at a high level and where through our contacts in the industry and, and the feedback we've gotten, our understanding of this ruling. Don't take it for for, for certainty by any means, because again, co consult with a compliance expert or attorney if this applies to you. <clears throat> so with that being said, David, as I mentioned, I haven't seen any articles or press about these two rules being FINRA Rule 1011 and 1017. And, and if we haven't seen it, I'm pretty confident most advisors probably don't even know what the heck we're talking about. So let's start there. Um, I know you've done a lot of heavy lifting to understand more and more about these rulings, um, but let's start there of what are we even talking about here um, when it pertains to Rule 1011 and 1017? You bet. Thanks, Jeremy. And I'll caveat it again. It's like we're, we are not compliance experts. This is a lot of information that we garnered, but it's one of the things that we do when we when stuff comes up like this uh, with conversations, not only with our broker dealer partners, but our advisors out there. We want to make sure that we're aware of what's happening. Uh, so this is kind of a high level. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty because FINRA rules, you can you can spend, uh, you know, two or three hours reading to every single one of their details. And of course, there's always that gray area that we deal with in our world almost every single day. So in March, FINRA issued a notice uh, that there's going to be outlining, uh, outlining some changes that are coming to rules uh, 1011 and 1017, which under the rules define relevant terms that require the continuing membership application, which you probably will hear us refer to as a CMA. And that's the event of certain material changes to ownership control and business operations. And so that's more of 1017 dealing with acquisitions, things like that. But also on 1011, looking at really the details that go along with it, it's going to look at uh, there's going to be a consult or anytime there's a financial planner and that this is where some of the gray area comes into play is how are we going to handle that is anytime there's with a, a let's say we'll, we'll talk advisors we'll speak 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 more to that when you look at a triggering event on that and it's a final uh, final criminal matters two or more at what they call specified events in the prior five years we've, we've done some research on that and talked to a few of our contacts we were concerned it was going to be over the year of the advisor but right now it we got it pretty much narrowed down that it should be just the last five years. So when you're looking at what triggers that 
CMA review, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But really, the triggering events are going to be that final criminal matter, and that's going to be a conviction, guilty plea, uh, requiring any kind of disclosure to the advisors you for. Uh, specified risk events, arbitration, litigation, anything over 15,000, it looks like it's going to be the triggering event. And civil actions or sanctions that are over 15K. And that's basically going past, like we said, the last five years or anything that's kind of requiring when there was an expulsion, suspension, or requiring that disclosure under U4. Those are kind of the triggering events. Now, looking at that, once you have an advisor, for example, that fits that criteria, this is where the new 1011 uh, rule comes into play is the broker dealer will have to seek approval from FINRA to associate him. And part of that, they should and could expect heightened supervision uh, for that individual advisor. Right now, for some of the information that we received, not only would that have to be submitted to FINRA prior to onboarding that advisor to get the approval for the CMA for that individual advisor before they can even onboard uh, that individual advisor. And we don't know what that process is going to look like. Is that, you know, uh, is that a 24, 48 hour turnaround? Or are we talking you've got two to three weeks or months uh, to be able to get that approval from Freno to be even on for that broker here to onboard that advisor? And so that's kind of the rule as a 10,000 foot view of the changes that are coming with 1017 when it comes to uh, the acquisitions, things like that, and the protection that comes along with those. And then 1011, when it's going to come down to onboarding any advisor with that, what you call final criminal matter that goes along with it. So that's kind of the rule in a nutshell. And those are going to come into effect in September. So any advisor that it has, you know, that $15,000 arbitration or anything in the last uh, five years, definitely reach out, talk to us, see what we can do, because we'll have to have conversations with our broker dealer partners, too, to find out how we move forward on that. And I know uh, Sean will dig into a little bit of, you know, what what does that mean for our advisors and what are some of the obstacles that we have to look at going forward? And great points there, David. I guess a couple of clarifying questions for our audience, because <clears throat> as I listen to that ruling and like I said, compliance is always a fun part of the business and we've been doing this long enough. Is is there any mention through your research as it pertains to, I understand the criminal and civil, but what about from a credit standpoint? If they've had bankruptcies or compromises or foreclosures in those last five years, is do you know, and if you don't, that's fine, but do you know if that's something that they're going to be reviewing in addition to what you mentioned? And it could be because they do out, you know, some of the terminology was things like civil action and monetary sanctions. Uh, but they didn't really go into a lot of detail whether it was going to also deal with his own, you know, anything that's reportable on the U4. So really the way I'm looking at it, everything keeps defaulting back to re disclosed on the U4, disclosed on the U4. So really pretty much if you've got a financial, uh, you've made a, some kind of a financial sediment on your personal side, that becomes a disclosure on your U4. So I think that could and definitely could be a triggering event on that side where you'd have to go through that additional approval process. And uh, since it's reported, anything that we see on that U4 in the last five years, that's where we're going to have to do some additional research and find out what what's really going to fall under those new guidelines. And second question, and correct me if I'm wrong, the, the way that I understand it through our research, if that advisor isn't leaving their current broker dealer, 
they're not subject to, once this rule goes into effect, being reviewed even by staying with their current broker dealer. Is that a fair statement or is that still something that they may or may not, I, I guess we can never predict the future, right. but is that something that applies to advisors that aren't leaving? Correct. I think it's a fair statement. If the advisor is not making a move, uh, it wouldn't trigger as much. But there's also, I know FINRA, one of the things that they've been looking at is anytime you have an advisor that has, you know, one of these criminal matters, the U4 kind of side of it, they've been looking at heightened supervision and they, they're going to press back to their broker dealers, even if they're currently with their broker dealers. Were they on some kind of a heightened supervision plan? Were, you know, is it still in force? What, it, what everything goes along with that? So. I think in a lot of cases, if you had an advisor that's had that affect them, you may, and that's what we got to find out with a lot of our broker-dealer partners, are they going to look back at the last couple of years of any advisors they've onboarded that would fit that mold, and are they on a heightened supervision um, currently, and should they continue to keep them on that just to keep themselves out of hot water with FINRA? Right. Yep. And so, Sean, as we know, having been in this industry as long as we have, you know, there, there's never, for the most part, a rule that's black and white when it comes out. There's, right. there's a lot of gray areas and uncertainty and interpretations of one broker dealer interprets it one way, another one interprets it another way. For our audience, I think it would be helpful for, from what you've learned and the research you've done and the contacts you have. What are some of those gray areas that I guess, still have that question mark um, that advisors need to consider when this rule comes into effect. Sure, sure. And as you both uh, mentioned, you know, I want to preface this by saying I'm not a compliance expert, <laughs> nor do I want to be, nor am I a securities attorney. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with that said, as with any uh, FEMRA rule that has direct impact on an advisor's practice, Advisors must not only be aware, but also understand the nuances or gray areas that could prevent or prolong an advisor from doing business on day one at a new broker dealer. And this law or this rule definitely fits that criteria, in my opinion. Um, one of the gray areas I foresee is just the uncertainty of how long uh, FEMRA will take to approve an advisor to do business at a new broker dealer. Um, you know, typically under normal circumstances where an advisor has a, and I'm just giving a rough example, has, has a clean CRD, you know, FEMRA approval can happen in hours, um, generally no longer than one business day. Or I've worked with advisors who may have had a closed complaint um, years, you know, you know, prior to them making a change. That process may take a day or two. However, this rule ruling may fall in line with, um, yeah, I know you, you guys have been recruiting for a while and you probably came across an advisor who had a pending complaint. And, um, at, at this juncture, I, I declined working with uh, advisors with pending complaints because the last advisor I worked with, that process took 90 days for review. And within those 90 days, this advisor could not produce one cent. And it was a very stressful um, situation. It was stressful for me as a recruiter because I build relationships with these advisors. And it became very personal by the second month of, uh, you know, his needs or, or the family needs not being met. So I'm um, not to go to take a deep dive on that uh, example, but just wanted to put that out there that you don't know. Um, you know, FEMRA could take a while to, to take a look at this. It's a new rule. 
which leads to my next uh, great area from our understanding, FINRA hasn't stacked up to, to work on this rule for review. So those two gray areas kind of fall in line with each other. Um, you know, hey, if they haven't, if it already takes a while for certain things to be reviewed and we have a new rule and they're not stacked up to accommodate the new rule, this could be a disaster you know, for an advisor that fits that criteria. Um, Wolf FINRA, what type of involvement will they actually get your current firm or new firm involved involved in? I mean, what what would they do? I mean, as you can imagine, uh, this could create several issues within itself from from firms, your existing firm making an attempt to retain your clients or open up their own investigations as well. Um, a new firm could go down the road and, you know, for whatever the case may be, decide not to affiliate you. Um, this, this could be a really, you know, uh, tough situation. And um, so there needs to be a little more clarity on that as well. Uh, and with those uncertainties, and I'm sure there are others that, you know, have not been uncovered because this is so new, you know, um, every broker dealer may interpret this ruling differently. Um, we, we're in an industry where, while, as Jeremy mentioned, these rules are never black and white, but I tell you, the interpretations are never black and white <laughs> on a lot of rules. I mean, we can look at one rule and one broker dealer does it one way, and you assume that another broker dealer is doing it the same way, and it's completely opposite. So I think that has to be, um, you know, you know, pinned down as well. And the point of just discussing the great areas for the audience is for an advisor who fits this criteria. You want to think about this. And you want to make this a part of your due diligence plan um, if you are looking for a new broker dealer here prior to year end. I know this is the time where advisors start getting focused on maybe a year end move. And if you're if you fall in those guidelines, uh, you certainly want this at the top of the list because it could impact your transition completely. And Sean, I guess a couple follow up questions is, you know, how does with this type of ruling and, and the uncertainty that you said of how long is this process going to take FINRA to review and approve? I mean, there, there hasn't been any clarity of whether it's going to be a day, a week, a month, six months. Right. I mean, how does how would an advisor plan for a transition with that uncertainty? Because I mean, that's as I listen to you and David, if if I'm part of our audience being an advisor OSJ or enterprise, that's my first thought is okay. Thank you for the information about the ruling, but how in the heck do you plan for a transition? Well, that's um, that becomes very difficult. You know, I think um, you definitely want to, you know, consult with the, uh, you know, as we mentioned, uh, you know, attorney for a little more in-depth information, securities attorney, or you can start with in-house compliance. Or if you're working with a recruiter, you're working with trust divisions. Um, you know, we can provide you with some consultation, uh, you know, from some of our resources as well. But that has to be a part of it and, and kind of lead, allow them to lead your um, transition process, so to speak. You know, it's not going to be, I guess, your standard transition um, because we want to take this into account. Um, because as you mentioned, I mean, it's a great question. You know, we can look at a 90 day uh, transition plan. However, you know, this this process in itself be an additional 90 days. We just don't know. Yep. And so we want to make sure that we cover these bases during uh, while you're planning. Um, you know, so I, I would certainly suggest, you know, uh, consulting with um, experts on this. One. 
And, and Sean, just because I said I gave David a fair statement, I guess I'll give you a fair statement, too, and you can tell me whether you agree is, you know, a lot of advisors, they don't really get too in-depth with these rules. And, I mean, we've seen it throughout our careers time and time again where, you know, they affiliate and they forgot to disclose an OBA or they forgot to, you know, they didn't understand this rule. And then it comes back to haunt them and they get suspended or, you know, fined or whatever. So is it a fair statement that, well, we always preach to advisors is we want you to focus on your practice and your business and your clients. This isn't a rule, nor are any of the rules within the regulatory body, one that you want to ignore or, or sweep under the rug. Is that a fair statement for, from your research? Yes, from my research, um, absolutely. If you fall within those guidelines, you have to uh, take some time, spend some time on it. Yep. And so I'll wrap this podcast uh, up with a couple of different points is what does this mean to advisors? Understanding what you said, David, and, and you, Sean, you know, as Sean said, we're not attorneys. And so if, if this rule applies to you, then certainly reach out to a firm like Trusted Visions. We have contacts that, that are on the legality side or the compliance side. Do your due diligence. And to Sean's point, if, you're pl- if you were planning on making a move at the end of the year or first quarter, not that you ever want to rush up your rush or move up your plans. If this applies to you, I'd certainly expect and give you my opinion that you probably want to make that move before this rule goes into effect. Not that you want to rush a transition. You still have plenty of time. But in my opinion, this changes a lot um, from a planning perspective. Now, taking it one step further, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts. If you're an advisor, I know SJ or enterprise, this is where firms like Trusted Visions can really help guide and navigate you through this process of, to Sean and David's point, every broker dealer is going to interpret these rules and, and pretty much every rule differently. Um, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's just the reality of the situation. And, and so working with a firm like Trusted Visions, we can help you understand and navigate through each broker-dealer partner's interpretation of the rule, number one. Number two, through our contacts of securities attorneys, SEC attorneys, compliance experts in the industry, we can help align and partner with you those pe- with those people to get a better understanding. Um, my opinion, while it may be come off as biased, it's completely unbiased, is you don't want to navigate through this ruling or the interpretation of this ruling alone. I mean, we we don't come up with these findings ourselves. We have a lot of contacts in the industry that, that provide us with this information and, and expert opinion because we're, we're good at what we do, but yet we rely on people that are good at the compliance side on what they, what they do best. And so to my, my advice to advisors is work with firms like Trusted Visions that can help you navigate through this so you have a 100% clear understanding of what this rule means to you, your practice, and your clients. Because just like we talked about succession planning, continuity planning, this is just as important to make sure that you're remaining compliant and you understand the timing. Because the last thing we want you to do is try and plan a transition and then the process takes 60, 90, 120 days longer than, than you expected, which means you're not making any income because the review process took a lot longer. So 
with that, I, I'm going to wrap up. Um, and I know we over preface the fact that we're not compliance experts or attorneys, but in this regulatory environment, that's what we have to do. So audience, I apologize, but I hope you understand. Um, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to email us at info at trustedvisions.com. Visit our, our LinkedIn or Facebook page, which is Trusted Visions Placement and Consulting. This isn't something to be taken lightly. And, and as we talked about it earlier as a team, this is just a rule that really hasn't gotten much press or, you know, interpretation of the ruling. I mean, most people in our audience, I would suspect, don't even know what the heck we're talking about. Um, and to David's point, there's been several versions of both of these rules throughout the years. So make sure that you're up, uh, up to speed with what those are. Sean, David, Thank you for taking part in this. I, I think this is, while we did a one-off, it's certainly valuable for our audience um, because it hasn't gotten much attention. And, you know, keeping a pulse on the industry will certainly help our audience. So, team, I greatly appreciate all that you do. Thank you for providing our audience the information that, that we've done our research on, and I'm confident would be valuable to them. 